here's what here's the point I want to make tonight, and it's a super big one. Uh, oh, I'm back in Romans. Up in Hebrews, we're looking at the first part of Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we're at. And I'm going to split Hebrews 12 down into two weeks. I was going to do that anyway. But I don't want to be distracted on this first super point. Let me review what we looked at last week because it's something super important. Um, as we went through, we talked about faith. And we talked about the, those heroes of faith. There is a, an interesting... I think this is a really important point as far as it'll, it'll help guide you and I in interpreting the historic teaching of, of uh, Israel. So let me, let, me, let me show you here just a second. Um, as you remember, we talked about uh, Noah, we talked about Abraham, we talked about Sarah, we talked about uh, Isaac and so on. And then it got down and we were talking about Moses. And it talked about that by faith Moses was born, verse 23 of chapter 11, uh, and hidden for three months and all of that. And and then uh, he didn't desire to be associated with Egypt, but he went with the rewards for the people of God. And now I want to read something to you. This is in Hebrews 11, um, verse 29 and 30. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the two verses, and then I want to see if you... Hear, hear what's in there. By faith, talking about the, the nation of Israel, children of Israel, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Do you hear it? Anybody got a, an idea what I'm pointing out? Okay. By faith they passed through the uh, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, and by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish, along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. Anybody got a thought? Meg? Okay, those are all very positive. Yeah, Bev. Yeah, well, that's a that's a positive spin on it. All right. Um, all right. Let me back up a little bit and give you the so there's a little bit more of a of a, a sequential context. So when it starts talking about Moses in verse 23, it says, "By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he had grown up." Refused, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. That's interesting because it links it with Christ. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured and seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch him. 
By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Yes, Ronnie. I'm looking at it like the by faith is from a relationship with God. Something was told to you and you did it and it worked out for you, but the other people that were around you didn't work out so good. Okay. Okay. So relationship-based faith thing. Okay. All right. Here's the part I want you just to use to study the Scripture. All right. There is a monstrous gap between... By faith, they crossed the Red Sea, and when the Egyptians tried, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. That means that while listing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there wasn't a lot of faith to talk about between crossing the Red Sea and entering and surrounding Jericho. So now this is not to to be mean or anything. I didn't write this book, by the way. This is a huge omission. And so all I'm asking you to do is to realize that, that much of the drama and the dynamic that God was engaged in with the children of Israel in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy and, and all of those passages all the way up uh, into the beginning of Joshua did not rise to the level to be recorded in the sequences of faith here. And to me, it's not just that it wasn't there. It was so dramatic that it was emphasized a little bit that we're talking about faith here and faith 10 years later and faith 40 years later, or three months later, 40 years later, 50 years later, and all of a sudden, whammo, another big blank for 40 years. Well, the children of Israel, and God loved them. He cared for them and everything else. But... The place to learn about faith is not between crossing the Red Sea and entering the Promised Land. Just, just a Bible study tip. <laughs> but I think it's pretty profound, and it's not original to me. Uh, Bob Cornwall, who's one of the most brilliant Bible teachers I ever had, was the first guy to bring it out. Yes, Miriam. You just, pull, just pull it down. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I just can... Am I good? I think I'm continually struggle myself with, um, okay, so sometimes, you know, we, sometimes we wake up in the morning and we have faith. I didn't have faith the first time because someone told me to have faith. It's like, it to me, it all comes from God. It's like his rescue party each mm -hmm. time, his rescue party. And it's like, I bet you they didn't have a lot of faith. And so, so I, you know, I get still caught up in the old church thing where without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I know I've said this before, but I used to slide down out of my chair. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hide because I felt so miserable. Yet in Galatians, doesn't it say that because of that, they translated it wrong? It's his faith in us. He gives us whatever we've got to even get into the water, let alone go across. Well, uh, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do see what you're saying. Uh, first of all, though, I wouldn't think I, I wouldn't endorse saying that the statement at the beginning of this is just a church thing. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because he who comes to God must believe that he is, and is a rewarder of those that seek him. So that's not something pecu peculiar to the church age. 
That is a truth about no, faith. I didn't mean to really say it that way. Okay. That well, that, I, emphasis, I'm, yeah, sure. yeah, this is just dialogue. The, it's okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just the fact that it's like, gosh. God gives us a measure of faith, but then it becomes our faith. Our ch by choice to trust. To trust and yeah. use. And like Ronnie says, to relation. Thanks, I just to yeah, to, to build relationship. And so anyway, I just, I don't really know, uh, I don't know how you're going to feel about that little bit, bit of Bible trivia, but... I think it's a big deal. I think it's a big deal. It helps guide how I understand. So when I'm looking, uh, when I'm looking to understand faith, now not, not love and God taking care of them. I think one of the most amazing things about that time is that, uh, God said he was, uh, angry at that people for 40 years and still he fed them every day. He made their clothes not wear out. He protected them from their enemies. He did all kinds of amazing things. He showed up every year and he gave them a whole system so they would know that he was still in their midst and still loved them. But, so just think about it. Okay. Do any of you, would any of you rather not have noticed that? Okay. Yes, Ronnie. I'm not really sure what your point is. I know it may sound obvious to you, but... Okay. The, my, my point is, is that there was nothing worth recording in the life of the nation of Israel for that 40 years about faith. And I think that our life... Okay, so let me make the comparison with Sarah. Sarah believed God, and uh, uh, you know she was able to have a son. Now, we also know when we read the story, there was a bunch of things that Sarah did that didn't believe God. She mocked God, she laughed at God, she was all nervous about that and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I have this picture in my mind that the events of our lives are being written down somewhere by some scribe angel or something. And there's an editorial process that goes on. And so there are days in which not very much in my activity is written down and recorded for posterity because there wasn't much about it that was good or faithful or whatever. But then something gets written down. Hallelujah! You know? And so we'll be in a line and, and we're gonna, the scripture says we're gonna be recompensed for our deeds, good and evil. And I just have the feeling, most people think about that as judgment being the preliminary thing. I think not. I think the things that are recorded are going to be celebrated because that's the nature of heaven and the nature of aligning things properly with judgment. And so just be aware of the fact that God loved Israel, but that there was a long stretch there because of unbelief and because of uh, fear and a bunch of things, just like there is in our lives, that aren't going to be recorded but I don't believe that we're going to be roasted over it. I think that it's going to be consumed in the blood of Jesus. And uh, there's judgment. There's alignment. Sarah's life is a perfect example to me, and Israel's life is a perfect example to me here. Does that make sense? Okay. They were faithful. They did faithful stuff. And then, oop, no faithful things for 40 years. Then the faithful things started again. That's a bummer. Let's not let our lives be that way. Let's go ahead and try to trust God so that they're busier writing <laughs> than not. Okay, very quick message, and it'll be it for tonight. It's been spectacular. Could have done without my message, actually, probably out of that one. All right, so now at the end of chapter 11, this is what we looked at last week. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Now that's 
translated in such a way in the numerical standard sounds kind of negative. I, I don't take it that as negative either. It means that, that their faithfulness did not fully bring them the promise because God had reserved the union between us and them for that promise to be fulfilled. And so what that, what that says to me, it's a very honoring thing when you think about it. There are aspects, for instance, of Abraham's life or Moses' life or a bunch of other people that are, aren't as famous. There are aspects of the promise of God to them in their lives that are literally being fulfilled now in union with us as we step into our situation with sons and daughters, as sons and daughters, or particularly as sons, and that includes you ladies. Now, what does that mean to me? That's why I get so hit up over the New Covenant. Because the New Covenant is the fulfillment of, and the institution of, and the culture of, and the government of, and the realm of the fulfillment of these promises. Not just for us, as sons in Jesus, but for these guys too. And it's not, this is not the only place that that idea comes from. Jesus said that uh, John the Baptist was the greatest man born of woman but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He was speaking in, into this transition that he himself was in the incarnation. So that means that whichever of us is the least in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, in a, in, 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 in a very real way, in, oops, in a very real way, endorsed by the, the, the knowledge, the vision of Jesus, in, endorsed by his knowledge of the Father, you are greater than Abraham. Greater than David. Greater than Absalom. Well, okay, we can all see that maybe. You know what I mean? This is hard to take. But we have to, we have to press in to believe this. Otherwise, we have to make up a reason why Jesus was just funning. Funning with the Pharisees. And I don't think he was. This is the progression that we're going, and we get to see a part of this in the in the first chapter. So it says here that this 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 thing of faith, this history of faith, is presented to us not just as something to get beat over the head with, like you say, uh, and then slide out of the chair. It is it is talking about the fact that Abraham was able to look at his body as dead and, and Sarah's as dead and yet still put trust in God that he was able to keep his promise. And then when you read that in Romans and you come back over here and it says that none of these received the fullness of that promise because God was saving something for them to be with us. If your thoughts don't rush to the new Jerusalem and they don't rush to, to the, the consummation of the ages and all this kind of stuff, you need to rethink it. Because this is, and we're going to get in there in 12 in just a second, it's going to talk about we're, we don't come to a mountain of fire and fear. We come to Zion. We come to the fullness of this stuff. And, and, and we, we had an experience in an ascension about two and a half weeks ago, I think, where we, we were connected with these heroes of faith, this cloud of witnesses. And there was stuff in their life, and it wasn't even just that. We, I, this was awesome. Okay, I'm doing this publicly, I guess, right? That's good. So we were in this ascension, and, you know, uh, usually you see, like, uh, famous biblical people, you know, like Moses or Enoch or somebody like that. And I always kind of wonder, you know, where's, like, uh, where's, like, uh, Jirai? You say, well, who's Jirai? And I go, that's my point. I mean, 
Isn't isn't Jirai ever going to visit anybody? There's got to be somebody named that. But even even more spectacular than that was uh, Cleopatra. We were in Ascension, and the Lord brought Cleopatra before us. And it was pretty darn special because he filled our hearts with love and with authority to set her free. Now, uh, I don't know what anybody thinks about that. I don't know what I would have thought about it if somebody told me about it, but I was there, and it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And so you can uh, take that or, or whatever, but I think, I think that we are more intimately connected with the people around this world and the people throughout history than we understand and, and that's what I think it says here. Let me just read it again. All And all these, having gained approval through the faith, through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. So one thing I want to suggest is, is it possible that you could gain approval for your faith and faithfulness and still not fully receive the promise that that faithfulness is based on? And the answer, I think, is yes. Not because God is lax or slack, and not because you screwed up or something, but because you're connected in his heart with the rest of the people. And I think there are people out there right now who don't know what they want. They don't know who they are. They don't know what's going to satisfy them. They just got this longing in them. And it, it, you know, it'll, it'll be a protest for Black Lives Matter one time. It'll be socialism another time. These are people who I think God has sown a vision in, sown a purpose in, and they're waiting a little bit to receive the fullness of that promise on people exactly like you and I who know God and who love Him. And, and so, anyway, I think it's an awesome motivation. This statement about, uh, about God has provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect flows immediately. We never think of it in these terms because we always look at chapter breaks and titles. Flows immediately into this. Therefore. So you all agree that generally when you're writing, if a sentence starts with therefore, it is connected with the previous statement. All right? So, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in the pursuit of your promise. You will not grow weary and lose heart. All right. So, if you want to boil the new covenant, as I understand it, down to its simplest form, it is about Jesus. And it is about what he has done to us and with us by drawing us into himself. His shed blood has created a covenant that 
is not in any jeopardy of being failed. Because he took humanity's side in it, and he took the, God's side in it. That's the nature of the incarnation. And so, there's two points I want to make, and then we'll get into it more later. Point one is, is that, that we are already in Christ, and, and I'm especially talking to those of us in the room and those of us on Zoom. We are already in Christ. We are fully in Christ. We don't have a tiny part of our life that is still needing to try to get into Christ. Our confession is that we're in by His work, beginning not with the work of the cross, but with the choice of the Father to have sons, and beginning with the incarnation, where He took on humanity permanently. Really. There's a human in the triune Godhead right now. That is beyond, I mean, I say it a hundred times, it's beyond comprehension. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea how to talk about what that means. Does he ever feel like alone in the Trinity because he's got this different thing going on? But, but see, the union between the Father and the Son means that the Father picked up all this stuff as well. Like not only does Jesus have an active memory of what it means to pull a cloak around you against the cold of night. But the Father and the Spirit have that, that knowledge as well. As a memory, not as an uh, omniscient bit of trivia. This is amazing. I mean, we're just barely scratching the surface. We don't know diddly about what, what the incarnation did and how. Now, here's the interesting part. Jesus said, you know, in that day, when, the, when, this, when this thing comes to pass and the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father. You're in me and I'm in you. Now, I'm telling you straight up, I never talked to anybody in my entire life that had any more than a token bit of revelation about what that really means. What does it mean to be in the Word of the Father, in the Father. I mean, this is incredible. What it doesn't mean, though, is that we're only peripherally connected. It doesn't mean, it absolutely doesn't mean that we're separated, that we're isolated, that we don't have value, that, that the that multiple times that we've stumbled and fallen has somehow nullified that reality. That's ridiculous. No way. You're in Christ. He's in you. We're in the Father. He's presenting us, says in Scripture, faultless and blameless before the throne. Okay? So that's one. The other truth, which gets overlooked and causes tons of confusion, is that there is, to this transformation of us, because it's real, and it's finished in the incarnation and in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is also a part that we play, and a part that is played out on us. And you get hints of it in Scripture where Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. I think one of the best illustrations of this to allow us to try to wrestle and grapple with both of these realities. I am fully in Christ. You are fully in Christ. We are viewed and dealt with and recognized and honored as sons and gloriously called friends, and it's a finished work, 
It's a done deal. And on the other side, okay, Paul says this, that this was the message, that God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself. And he used the word cosmos, so that includes it all, and us. And then the very next line in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, 20 there, says, Therefore, as ambassadors for God, we beg you, be reconciled. So there's the finished work of which I am an example. And then there is a transformational process of which I am an example. And this talks about that. And as we go on, we're going to get into the resources that have been marshaled for us. And that marshaling is the discipline of the Father and all this kind of stuff. So if you ask me, are you a full-fledged son in Christ of the Father? The only accurate answer I can say is, I am. Yes, I am. If you are going to ask me, are you in the process of becoming a son, there is a way I could, I could, I would say yes, but can we talk about it in a slightly different way? Because I am in that process of manifesting that sonship, of living in that sonship, of having that sonship dominate my view, my perspective of myself and of others. And, and, and so the way, one way that I've heard it talked about that I like, is that the truth of our being, or the way of our being, yeah, the way of our being, the way I be, is beginning to manifest and be conformed to the truth of my being. The truth of my being is I could not possibly become more of a son. I could not possibly become more... Uh, of, of someone who is loved by the Father, embraced by the Father. I could not possibly become more assured. I could not possibly become more, more rooted. And yet, that truth of my being, I, it is set before me to wrestle and to walk and to trust that the way of my being is going to start to match that and show up. And I have enormous tools that I didn't used to know because I always thought about them as like bad things and things about judgment. I have the wrath of God on my side to help this happen. Because when I step in the wrong direction, that wrath blows against me or leans against me or pushes against me or whacks me or I don't know exactly how all it can happen. But it's the wrath of God is a tool that I never knew I had so that the the the, the wandering way of my being could be conformed to the absolute truth of my being. Another one is the discipline of the Father. We'll get into that in a little bit. Another one is the prayers, you know, uh, the, the humility. You know, pray that I would walk this out as I, as I might. But this is the beauty of the new covenant. It's the culmination. Now, take these poor Israelites between the Red Sea and the Jordan, and they didn't have access to that kind of stuff yet because Jesus had not yet come yet. And they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them the way we do. They didn't have that, that, that idea of being in. They're included, but it was a different progressive revelation in which now they, in fact, are included. So a lot of these people, and I, I guess you could read this, that only the people mentioned in here in faith, but then there's a thing in there that says, but time doesn't allow me to tell all the other people. 
I personally believe that the person that struggled the most, whoever that person was, in that 40-year period, the promise for their life is still awaiting its full manifestation by the mercy of God through us and through them. And I personally think, and, and again, that's why I don't freak out over that story about the Lord showing us Cleopatra, because why would God not do that? Why? Now, I know there's a lot of people who have answers for that, and you just don't happen to be that crowd, so I can safely say it here. <laughs> but uh, I, I, think, I, think that the, uh, I think that the love and the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God is uh, a pretty special thing, and I think we're part of it. Um, I don't find it valuable, personally, to try to figure out how he's going to do it. Because even if he sat down and explained it to me with pictures, I don't think I'd understand it. So what I do is I think about his heart. I think about his love. I think about his nature, his spirit, and, and life, and, and also consuming fire. So those things are probably going to come into play somehow. I'm good with that. I know that I'm going to be tested by fire and that my works are going to either endure or not endure. And Paul says, I'll suffer loss for the ones that, that get burned up. I'm okay with that. Because I know that the God that is that fire is one who loves me. And so I think we got a wonderful message. I think that there's a, a whole historic and present world of people waiting for you and I to let the love of God be released through our lives. Yes? One thing. Sure. You know, recently I um, had a wonderful opportunity to see a couple of videos. I can't think of the name of the people right now. They're Justin Abraham types. Okay. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. But you know, when you said that about Cleopatra, I went to that other story, and and another story that um, oh, the guy from England, what's his name? No, not the other one. No, the other one. Mike. Mike Parson? Yeah, Mike told a story about this. Yeah, he tells weirder stories than any that I could ever tell, so I'm so, okay. So what I you, love him, too. I wrote something a long time ago. And I, I don't even remember how I wrote it, but it was like prose. And it was like, so we heal the past and live present in the future. And what came out of these other situations, I don't know about Cleopatra's group, but what came out of it was healing all the way down through the bloodlines to now and beyond which I can't wrap my head around, but there's something in my spirit that mm -hmm. goes, sure. oh, yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's kind of what I mean about not, not knowing the details. I don't know the details. Can you, imagine that, can you imagine that what you guys, you know, got blessed to be able to be part of freed up a whole bunch of people in Chicago and then, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a long time to have bloodlines. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? I'm ex it, thank you for it sharing is. that. That was great. I'm it is, yeah, that. it is. However... Oh, no, not you, however. You can sit down. However, I don't want to lose the point out of this passage of Scripture. The point is, with all of this amazing stuff that we can't really explain, we can do what we're told to do, which is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so that means that we have permission to look at and to understand that our life of faith, our life of growth, all that stuff, is a process. It is a process that already 
is filled and founded on assurance. But there is something to us walking it out. And the way to do that is to look at Jesus. And so I don't really care what confuses you. Look at Jesus. And what Jesus is going to do is he is going to present you to the Father. Whether it's for discipline or for blessing, doesn't really matter. Because the goal is to get you to fully manifest who he's already made you. Okay? And then the second thing is to look at everybody like that. And then you won't be tempted to judge them. You may still get irritated. You may still get offended. But hopefully, you'll stop short of judging. Because the minute that we judge somebody, we disqualify ourselves from being the one that can be used to help them do that. Okay? Praise God. Father, thank you. Thanks for the magnificent gift of your presence and your pleasure that you gave us tonight. And it's as real as anything I've ever experienced in my life, Lord. And I just bless you. Thank you for the honor of the gift of this place and this time and this purpose. And Lord, just let it continue to unfold in the hearts of, of everybody here, including me. And uh, I, just, I just bless you and thank you that we're here and that, that we're here as an act of faith and that you affirm that the way you did. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I pray for those that are with us in Zoom. I pray for those that are here in the room. I pray for those that are a part of this family and, uh, and weren't able to be with us tonight in either of those venues. Uh, thank you again for healing Ray, touching Ray, giving wisdom. And we, uh, we just say, take our lives and lead us down the path you want us to go and show us Jesus. Amen.